Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. I want us this morning to carry on a little bit in the theme that we've been in for, I guess, most of the second half of this year. For the first half, we spent a bit of time just pressing into God's love for us. The fact that he, His love for us goes beyond our wildest dreams. Pressing into and stepping into His character and His, his heart, His person towards us. Second part of this year, we spent a bit of time stepping into His purpose for us speaking about that in a variety of different ways. A couple of weeks ago, Christoph spoke, and he reminded us about the four Fs of discipleship, sorry, the three Fs of discipleship, starting with following. I think most of us follow fishing and fellowship, and most of us probably, I hope, have really made a commitment to follow Jesus. We've spoken about that quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, that, you know, that following Jesus is is a quantum shift in our lives. And I hope and pray that most of us here this morning, we've made that decision to say, my life is not about me and about my happiness and about me fulfilling what's in my heart, but my life is about Jesus. It's about His name. It's about His glory. We've spoken about following a lot and laying down our lives, choosing Him above everything. We looked at the rich young ruler a couple of weeks ago and as an example of somebody wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus. I think uh, probably Christoph kind of went to the end of his message. He said, if you look at follow, fish, and fellowship, and you have to kind of evaluate yourself in each one of those, I think most of us probably said in our fellowship is where we're probably strongest. I think as a church, I'm so thankful for that. I remember a couple of years ago, we actually had a whole conference about that, and the tagline for our conference was, where is the love? And we found that we'd, in church, become so passionate for Jesus and, and His ways, but in that, perhaps missed a little bit about His desire for us to love one another. We spent a lot of time praying and speaking into love. I remember a specific conversation we had, so I'm not a big coffee guy, I think people spend absurd amount of coffee of money on a beverage that means absolutely nothing and it's probably addictive and very bad for your health and conducive to idol worship but that's a discussion for another day you think I'm, I'm being dead serious sorry I'm calling us all out if we wake up in the morning and we say I can't before that's an idol and so I remember sitting in a meeting, kind of, kind of spending a lot of money on coffee. And here, and at the primary school, we spent even more money on coffee. And I was like, I don't, I really, I'm wrestling with this. And then it dawned on me. If it's going to cause people to stay just a little bit longer after a service and maybe talk to somebody else, I'm willing to pay that money. And so now I love, and kind of you might see it this morning, that after the service, now our problem isn't that people don't stick around after the service and care anymore. And fellowship and care isn't the same thing 
fellowship and hanging out is not the same thing, but fellowship starts with hanging out. It starts with caring. It has to start with that relation. Fellowship is much deeper. It's about sharing life and kind of really getting into one another's lives. But now we've got this really, really good problem, and it's not a problem even, really good situation where after the service, the challenge probably is going to be that people don't want to leave. We hang around spontaneously, and, and that's just part of something that God's changed in our heart that we've learned to love hanging out together and out of that fellowship. And obviously, we can grow in that a lot. And then fishing. And I think probably most of us, if we're honest with where we're at in our walk with Christ right now, between follow, fellowship, and fish, fish is probably the short straw in our lives at the moment. The way in which we engage with unbelievers. We're passionate about following Jesus and definitely not perfect. But hey, we count the cost and we continue to count the cost. And in principle, we are yes, Lord, people. Whatever the question, Jesus, the answer is yes. And we want to follow you and we're working at that. And our heart and our desire is there. And we love fellowshipping and hanging around with different people and kind of just praying together and sharing together and brying together and watching rugby together. We, we love that. That almost comes naturally. What we're not so good at is extending our hand out of our world into somebody else's world and inviting them into ours. Or perhaps even stepping into their world and developing love and grace for where they're at. And so I want us perhaps this morning to spend a little bit of time around this because Someone, a couple of things that have just dawned on me the, the last while speaking about fishing. Because Jesus uses a really interesting analogy in evangelism. He calls it fishing. And I know it's because he was speaking to fishermen. So I don't quite, I don't know, maybe if he was speaking to plumbers, he said, I would make you plumbers of people. I don't quite know kind of if, if that would have been quite the same idea and vibe. But I'll make, make you fishers of people. And there are a couple of things that kind of just the last while as we've been praying about that, speaking about it, just pressing into that a little bit, you know what I realized? Jesus said, I'm not going to give you skills to fish with people. It's not what he said. He didn't say, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to show you the techniques and the methods. It might be kind of implied as what well. he said, I will make you fishers of people. In other words, he says, I'm going to change who you are. I'm not only going to help you to do something, to show you to do something, to teach you to do something. I'm going to make you, your person, your nature, something inside of you is going to change. One of the things that we began praying for us as a church is that God would make us. That he would change us, that he would form us. Another thing, he calls those disciples the initial ones and he says implicitly, you are not who you need to be yet. But don't worry, I'll make you. I'm not calling you because you're already a fisherman or a fisher of men. I'm calling you because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so I spent, I don't know, maybe some of you guys as well, in my younger years with my dad, a lot of time fishing. Anyone else grow up in a, a home where fishing happened? A few of us. Very few of us, I'm surprised. And I'd almost forgotten that kind of we spent a lot of time fishing until in this week, 
my dad passed away um, last year, as many of us know. And so kind of we're still cleaning up a bunch of his stuff. And my one brother moved to Canada, immigrated to Canada, realized Canada really isn't so great and immigrated back to South Africa now. And kind of we're just moving all of the stuff around. And a whole bunch of my dad's stuff was still at my brother's. And now my brother has decided he's moving to Jeffreys Bay. And so he needed to come and drop off a bunch of stuff that he's not moving to Jeffreys Bay with him. And there were like three or four big crates of fishing stuff. And I was like, you're moving to the sea. Why are you leaving this here? But anyway, so he left all of it. And I realized we actually did a lot of fishing. Various types of fishing. Some of you fish non-fishing people don't know this. It's not just fishing and not fishing. There is dam fishing. Even with dam fishing, it's different fishing. Sometimes you fish and you throw this little thing called a spinner and you kind of cast it and you reel it back in and you cast it and you reel it back in. And then kind of there's trout fishing and there's fly fishing. Sometimes trout often is with a fly and there are different ways. There's bass fishing and I had the privilege, we went one year, I remember, we drove up all the way to Lake Kariba, and we went tiger fishing up in Lake Kariba. And we did some odds and ends fishing around the dams here, but that's not really proper fishing. That's just what they in Afrikaans call hengel. You know there's a difference between hengel and fishing. Or angling. Angling is a technical word in English, but angling is like proper fishing. But like in Afrikaans, hengel is different. Hengel, you need a cool box, maybe two or three cool boxes with a couple of beers. And then one cool box with beers and one cool box with ice and one cool box with brandy, you know, that's the you angle, you know. It's more about the drinking than the fishing. But my dad, fortunately, it wasn't so much about the drinking. And then we went to Mozambique and a couple of years, you go deep sea fishing. And that's a completely different type of fishing. First you feed the fish and then you catch the fish. And some of you will catch that joke a little bit later when you go deep sea fishing. You spent a lot of time sort of leaning overboard, especially at the start of the holiday. Because the sea is doing this, you know, all of the time. And then you, you trawl, which means that you have your rods, you stick them in the side of the boat, and they have a little, um, most of the time, a little fake little fish swimming at the end of the line. And you're driving quite slowly over these big dunes and hoping that a nice big fish comes and catches your small fish. But in the meantime, the boat's doing this all of the time. And you're driving slowly, and eventually the, you hear on the rod, the reel starts going, and it's got a little machine that you put on, so it makes a noise when a fish bites it. And you go fishing. Catch some, that's called game fishing. Got a whole bunch of game fish, like kingfish. We never caught any really big fish, like a sailfish or a marlin. That would be really amazing, but kingfish and lots of barracuda and other warm-watered fish off the coast of Mozambique, and a bright, and, and then you get the guys who, who reel, the real, real hardcore fishermen. These are the ones who go at like three o'clock in the morning, and they stand on the beach with their long rods, and you've got like a special way in which you cast, and you try and get your kind of your piece of crab or whatever's on the end of your reel, on the end of your hook into a little pool or a little pond or something kind of that you see or just other side of the breakers. And those guys stand there, have you seen them, in the wind and the rain, early morning, late morning, early evening, late off through the night. They're like standing there with a little bucket and I'm like, you guys are amazing. I do not have the patience for that. And so as I was thinking about all of this fishing, some stuff kind of struck me about parallels. Now the first thing that I must just say here is I don't think much of this fishing happened in Jesus' time. So when Jesus is speaking about fishing, he probably wasn't referring to that because they used nets. 
Fishing with nets, once again, is completely different to fishing with a reel and a rod. But there is one parallel, at least. And that is, most of the time, when you go fishing, and this one struck me just recently, you don't catch anything. Most of the time, when you go fishing, you don't catch very much. You spend hours upon hours at the side of the dam, the lake, the river, the sea. And you cast, and you cast, and you cast, and you reel in, and you cast, and you reel in. Or you drop your line out, and you trawl up and down the reef for hours on end. And many days you get home, and there's nothing. And we see that with James and John, or Peter and Andrew, the first time when they're fishing, when Jesus arrives, what were they doing? They were fishing, the Scripture says, they were toiling. They were working, fishing the whole night, and hadn't caught anything. And as I realized, I find so much just comfort from that. Because a, a part of our performance culture, and, and maybe, maybe my personal performance issues a little bit, I, I feel like a failure every time when I put my faith out to go fishing for Jesus, to go and kind of reach someone, to step out into someone's world, and they don't come to salvation. I'm like, God, oh, this is wrong. This is useless. And then I realized, but that's how fishing works. Fishing is one of those things where you fail more than you succeed. You go fishing for hours. You cast it reel over and over. The other day, where, the other day, a year or two ago, I was in Tanin with our pastor there. Now, he's a big fisher guy. And they're little bass dams all over Tanin. And he wanted me to go fishing with him. So after I preached the morning service, and then we went fishing. And gave me a rod and everything, and a little spinner, and I cast, boom, Second or third cast, I catch this really properly sized bass, and this guy's eyes are like so big. He's like, this isn't meant to happen. You're meant to stand here the whole day and sweat and burn in the sun and everything before you catch anything. And he kind of took a nice little photo. He's still super impressed with the little bass I caught that day. But I just want to kind of put that out there just as an expectation. We're going to go fishing. We're going to be a people who go fishing. And sometimes when you go fishing, you bring in the nets and kind of the nets are tearing because there's just too much fish. Other times you go fishing and you come back and there's nothing in the boat. And that's okay. That's fishing. I don't know why I was just kind of, that struck me the other day when I put that out there. When that kind of that dawned on me that most of the time, it actually dawned on me when Kyle and Megan, they're not here this morning, they're probably joining us this evening. They went fishing a couple of weeks ago. I think, Mark, you were there as well. And they were fishing and fishing and fishing, and they didn't catch anything. But they went back, and they went fishing again. And as someone said, they kind of shared about how dedicated Kyle and Megan were, because early in the morning they went fishing, and they come back, and eventually they did catch some stuff, but they spent the whole week in Dostrom fishing, and I think they each caught one fish. And they view it as successful fishing expedition because they caught something after a week of day and night fishing. And kind of it just struck me. I just want to put this out there. Some of us need to hear this, that it is okay if we don't get, get catch fish every single time we go out. Just one or two other kind of just lessons Things I remember from being a kid and going fishing before we're going to look at some things from Jesus around fishing. 
which is probably way more important than some of these other things I'm mentioning. Fishing takes time. It takes a lot of time. As I mentioned, it's not always even what we seem seems to be productive time, but it takes a lot of time. You don't, you're not a successful fisherman by just quickly going out, casting the reel, catching, come back in, my morning's done. No, fishermen spend hours upon hours fishing. It takes lots. It's a time-consuming activity. You don't go fishing by accident. You see, fishing isn't where you go for a ride on the boat and we're like, oh, I happened to catch some fish. That was fun. No, fishing is a deliberate, intentional activity. Jesus calls us to, to go fishing. I think these principles carry through, whether we're using a, a, a net or we're using a reel. We have to be intentional. Fishing, we don't go fishing by accident. You don't go fishing and catch fish just because... It just, you know, we were just sitting by the side of the lake, just having a coffee, and suddenly we caught a bunch of fish. That, that's not how fishing works. My dad always says, you can't catch anything if you don't have a line in the water. You have to have a line in the water. You have to have some bait, something out there. And as I mentioned, most of the time, you don't catch. So just a couple of things that I just thought about that I just kind of want to just put out there about fishing. Fishing is work. Fishing is intentional. Fishing it seems to be very unproductive a lot of the time. But let's look at, at some things that Jesus did around fishing and wanting us to encourage, inspire us, even as Sam was here just a couple of weeks ago, just an evangelist, somebody who spends his life going fishing. I don't think in Scripture there's a specific method. I don't think there's a specific formula. I don't think Jesus was formulaic in his ministry. What he says to Timon is not what he says to Tiani. He ministers to each one differently. But I do think there are some principles that carry through. There are some heart issues we can pick up from Jesus that hopefully will encourage and inspire us to truly grow as fishers of men. Luke 19 verse 10. I think the first one, why Jesus, what Jesus modeled to us and to his disciples, to the twelve, is how he made them fishers of men, is he understood his purpose. Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man, that's a description uses, Jesus uses when he speaks of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus understood that his very reason for being on this earth was to seek and to save. In other words, that means tomorrow morning when Jesus wakes up, what am I going to do today? I'm going to seek and to save that which is lost. That is my purpose. That's why I'm here. What am I spending when I'm going to this bride, when I'm going to this function, when I'm meeting with these people, when I'm, I need to go and get some water at a well, and maybe there's some people coming to the well. What am I going to be doing there? I'm going to be seeking and saving those who are lost. It was an approach to everything he did. I think when Jesus looks at Peter and James and Andrew and John and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, this is part of what he means. Later on when Jesus has ascended to heaven, I think Peter took this on board. I think when Peter woke up after Pentecost, he's like, what am I going to do today, Pinky? <laughs> 
I'm going to fish for men. What am I going to do today? I'm going to find, I'm going to seek and save those who are lost. I think there was a heart approach that happened when I'm going to this meeting, when I'm traveling to this town, when I'm driving in this car, when I'm sitting in this taxi, when I'm having lunch with these people. What am I doing? What is my purpose? I'm here to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus truly embraced and understood His purpose. In Matthew 9, we see this beautiful passage. He genuinely cared. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area. He was teaching in synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus genuinely cared. Now, this is one of those things when I read that passage and maybe the Holy Spirit shines in my light and I'm like, Jesus, I don't think I genuinely care. If I'm truly honest in my self-evaluation. So now, one of the mistakes we make then is, okay, now I'm going to start caring. Watch. I'm going to make myself care. Suddenly, I'm going to start caring about the people. And I've tried that before. A little quick spoiler alert. It doesn't work. What we can do is we can go and say, Jesus, you cared. And I want to represent you, so I need to start caring. Jesus, will you help me to begin to care? You see, we can't change our own own hearts. Here's just something out there, maybe a little nugget for free. When there's something in our heart we look at that we disagree with, that doesn't accord with Christ and Christ-likeness, you and I cannot change it. We can try and try and try and try. I promise you, you can't change your heart. But we can ask Jesus to change our hearts. And He does. He does. And so a prayer we can begin to pray if we look at this and we look at the people around us. Is, do I genuinely care? I love how some of the older translations would phrase this. They would always, and the New Living Translation loses a little bit, but the word compassion never appears on its own in Scripture, in the, older, in the word-for-word translations. It's always moved with compassion. Compassion always leads to action. I remember many years ago, I was still a student, and I was actually leading a team in Pretoria, a ministry team, and we were doing some ministry work out in Atchardsville late in the evenings, in the winter, and then driving back to um, mainland area where we were staying in Linwood. And I remember we were driving in one night, <laughs> middle of winter, you know how cold, some cold nights. And the radio in the little bus we were driving in was on, and it was Jacaranda, and the, um, the radio presenter was speaking about how cold it is tonight and how hard it must be for the people on the streets and how our hearts really should go out to them. And I thought they were building up to a, so here's a place where you can come deposit blankets or you can give warm clothes and we're going to do something about this. And she was like, yeah, so let's take a moment and think about them. And I remember the next song was a Madonna song. And here's the next song, boom. And they're playing to Madonna. And I was like, wait. And I realized with that the difference is in compassion doesn't do that. Compassion always moves 
to action. We can be aware of brokenness and hurt. Jesus didn't look at them and he was aware because they were confused and helpless. He was moved. Something inside of him said we need to do something. Just on this, I want to just stay, take a moment and just put a little asterisk because I think too often we miss this. Too often we miss this little detail when we look at broken people and we miss the reality of eternity. So often in church and speaking with church leaders and it frustrates me and it's right, we need to have those conversations. But the conversation is about the poor as an example. Good conversation to have. How are we going to feed them? How are we going to clothe them? We should do that. How are we going to upskill them? How are we going to provide jobs? How are we going to help for the orphans? How are we going to care for the widows? We must. Jesus says it's important. It's on his heart. What breaks my heart is too often the conversation ends there. You see, at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't look at his people and he's moved with compassion because of their earthly state. He looks at them and he's moved with compassion because he understands their eternal state. He understands that it's not just that they're in trouble here on this earth. They're in trouble in eternity. They are separated from the Father in eternity. And too often we stop and we, we don't stop and just remind ourselves of, of that truth. I love World Vision, which is sort of a, a big international um, welfare organization. And they have this, this little saying, a little tagline. It might have changed, but it, it used to be kind of when we worked with them a little bit in the past. It says, we care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. I love, we care about all suffering but we care most about eternal suffering. We have to ask ourselves, we have to step back, if, if what we believe is real, and we believe it's real, that's why we believe it. If we believe that salvation is only in the name of Jesus, if we believe that outside of Jesus we are all headed for eternal damnation and separation from God, if we look at that and we genuinely believe that, we genuinely believe that we are saved by Jesus and we step out from there and we look at the people around us who have not yet experienced the saving grace of Jesus, that right there is a moment to be real about our compassion. Yes, I want you to have a warm meal tonight. I genuinely do. and Sleep in a warm bed. But more than that, I want you to live in an eternal relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, it's not one or the other. It's not a meal or Jesus. It can be both. But if we're looking out at crowds, if we're looking out at the city, if we're picking up the newspaper, if we're... Yesterday we had a, a school thing. It was a school, my, my daughter's school, 70th birthday. And so they had like a, a big type of thing with a bunch of games and fundraiser and having a bunch of fun. And then kind of the thing to do at schools nowadays is a tanky aunt. So we come and we put up our tent and we camp on the school premises. And it's good fun, except we were meant to sleep. So this is a confession, not a testimony. Last night, myself and the youngest, the middle one decided camping. I've got a really comfortable, warm bed at home. I'm not doing this camping thing. My wife was like, I got you, sister. And so they were in the warm, comfortable bed last night. And the rest of us, we said, okay, we're going to camp there and play with the friends and play until late. 
And so my elders decided, she and some friends, they're going to go sleep under the one gazebo with a friend at the, at the friend's tent thing that they set up. I was like, sure, no problem, go for it. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I go to the bathroom and I'm like, and I walk past the gazebo and they're not sleeping here under the gazebo. I'm like, where are these kids? We'll find them tomorrow. And so I went back to bed and this morning at like seven, at half past six, seven, kind of when everyone in the camp starts getting alive, the eldest one's like walking in like, I didn't sleep at all last night. <laughs> I was like, where were we? Where did you sleep? No, we went and put our tents next to the, uh, our little sleeping bags next to the bonfire. And then we went to play in the grade R's play area at half past three. And what, what, so kind of they, and she like, and so we went home quickly to change and get ready for church and just about to leave for church. And Yannetta comes up to me, she's like, I can't wake up yet. Lisa, she's just not waking up. <laughs> she's like, Fast asleep. I was like, well, I'll tell you what. We lock her in the house, leave a little note, tell her she must phone us if there's a crisis, and we go up to church. So I think it's the first time we've ever left her alone. That moment has arrived. Someone told us once, when is it, oh, we asked, when, you, when, is it, when can you start leaving your kids at home by themselves? And someone was just said, you'll just know. I think today we just knew. But you probably maybe wake up at four by the time we... Anyway, she's, I don't know how we got onto that. Oh, so we're at the school thing. And all of the parents are there, and we're sitting around at campfires and around little tents and little groups sitting and chatting. And fortunately, a bunch of the parents there are, are followers of Christ, but a bunch aren't. And now we can sit there that evening, and I can just be like, oh, these are really cool people. They're going to have a nice evening tonight. And have a nice bride, and then carry on with their lives, or something in our hearts has to be Jesus. You have more for these people than they have right now. We have to trust God to let a compassion stir and burn in our hearts for those who do not know Him. Jesus genuinely cared. The third one that we see about Jesus, and I love this about Jesus, Luke 15 verses 1 to 2. Tax collectors, and I love how the New Living Translation phrases this, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. He's like, Jesus, you can't be with unholy people. Jesus loved being with unholy people. I love this, notorious sinners. Here's a little quick litmus test. Who is the most notorious sinner in your life? No, I'm kidding. Please don't answer that. But Jesus was not intimidated by sinfulness and by sinful people, which is a really, really good thing because I don't think he would ever have come down from heaven to earth if he was. Okay. And so he, he stepped into our lives and he was not intimidated by sinfulness. But the religious spirit is. It's interesting, sort of, we sat on, on Monday in our office meeting and kind of we realized, Chucks, the Springboks are playing at 6 on Sunday night, quarter to 6 tonight. So we're going to have, and our evening services really aren't massive at the moment as it is. And someone was like, well, we're probably going to have a bunch of girls who really don't care about rugby in church on Sunday. And that's probably what the service is going to be. And I was like, well, that's what we do then. 
because I mean, it, we're not definitely not going to put Jesus on the back burner for any human thing. And then someone dropped the idea about, wait, why don't we use it as an opportunity to invite people? Why don't we use it as an opportunity to do what we're going to do tonight with the idea that we invite friends, come to the worship, and then we watch the rugby as well afterwards. And hopefully we'll be able to introduce some people to Jesus and bring them into our, invite them into fellowship with us in that way. But, and then I, I sent a, a message out to, to our church about that, and we got one or two interesting responses. About how can we do that? This isn't right. We don't do rugby, walking away from it. You see, the religious spirit hates notorious sinners. The Pharisees were like, Jesus, you can't be associating with such sinful things. Jesus, that's not how this holy thing works. That's not how the religious, no, the religious thing doesn't work like that. And Jesus was like, let me show you how the religious thing works. Let me smash every boundary, every reason why we can't be with those people. Let me smash that away and step into their lives so they can experience truth. Jesus, it's a religiousness that in me, even in this week, as I was thinking, maybe we should just call off Sunday night. Maybe just accept the loss, come back next week, trust God for more people to come back, and go through the whole effort of a service with four people sitting in a service, and then be despondent because people in church love rugby more than they love Jesus, and just feel even more bad about how we're discipling people. Maybe I should just step away from all of that. There's this religious thing that wants to come inside of us, that wants to say, we need to pull up these walls. I wonder what was your response when we heard we're not doing a normal service this Sunday? Was it a, yes, I can't wait, I'm going to invite that friend, here's the opportunity I've been praying for, or was it, oh, this is such a sinful church? What is it that registers in our heart? Are we a little bit Pharisaic? Because the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained that Jesus was associating with sinful people. Jesus wasn't intimidated by them at all. A little bit later on in Scripture, Paul gives us some clarification around this. In 1 Corinthians 5, he says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. And then watch this, verse 10 is so important. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. The implication is, I don't want you to leave the world. I don't want you to step away from sinful people. On the contrary, I want you to be there amongst sinful people. He carries on. I meant you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. You see, Jesus is, is very clear that when there are sinful people, when there are people who don't know the grace of Christ, they are going to be sinning. I was speaking to a guy in, in church recently, kind of just, struggling with a family situation where there's a family member who's just kind of involved in, in some form of sexual sin. And he's like, what do we do about it? What if I told him, you don't do anything about it. The sexual sin isn't the problem. The problem is that they haven't experienced the grace of Jesus. You can get them to stop sinning, that specific sin, but guess what? They're still going to be sinners. 
Guess what? Nothing is changed about the eternal state when they stop committing that specific sin. The eternal, cha- eternal, eternal, let me try that again. Their eternal state changes when they encounter Christ. And then when they encounter Christ, guess what? They stop sinning because Jesus brings about a transformation. As Christians, so often, especially with the world, we are so into getting people to stop sinning instead of getting people to meet Jesus. When they meet Jesus, Jesus deals with the sin. Do you know it's possible to not live a life of external overt sin and still not know Jesus? You know that's possible? It's possible to be so religious, to do everything right by the book and still not know Jesus. But it is impossible to truly know Jesus and still live a life of external of overt sin. The moment Jesus enters in, all of that stuff is going to sort itself. He'll sort that out. He'll wash away the sin. And so Jesus comes and Jesus is not intimidated by sinners. So here's a little challenge for us, for some of us. Do you have sinful people in your life? I made a joke just now about who are the most notorious sinners in your life, the people that you know. That was a joke. This part isn't a joke. If there aren't notorious sinners in your life, get some. Find the people in your business, in your company, in your world. Maybe just another thing about sin that we sometimes miss. You see, sin is an outflow of brokenness, always. You see, nobody sins, nobody beats their wife, nobody steals, nobody does that from a place of wholeness on the inside. Nobody takes something that belongs to somebody else when I'm whole on the inside. I do that because there's brokenness on the inside. And so where are we exposing ourselves to brokenness? Where are we allowing, you know the best way, we spoke about learning to love people there. I found in my life there are two great ways to learn to love people. The first one is to begin to pray for them. It's amazing how our view of people changes when we begin to pray for them. So that person at work, in your class, in your environment, the person in your world who irritates you the most, start praying for them. You're going to begin to see them differently when you're praying for them. You're going to begin to see them through God's eyes. You're going to begin to see their brokenness and you're going to begin to love them. The second way in which we learn to love people is when we step into their world And we begin to experience them. We begin to experience their struggles, their heartaches, their hurts. It's amazing how compassion in our heart then becomes real because we experience a little bit of where they're at. Those people in your work who are the unbelieving people, the loud people, the sinful people, You know, when you have the work bride, there's the group there. They're the group who are going to get drunk and swear, and they're the rowdy group. So I'm going to go to the work function, you know, year-end work functions that are coming up, and I'm going to be with the nice people. And the big rowdy people, they can do their own thing. I think Jesus would at least sometimes have been with the rowdy crowd, with the notorious sinners in our businesses. We step into that place. Jesus was never intimidated by that. And then the last one that I want to hold before us in Luke 19. 
Jesus enters Jericho and he makes his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. Just as an aside, we'll see that now. He's also a notorious sinner. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Jesus stepped into the lives of broken people. Jesus was not afraid to invite himself into Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus, I need to come and be with you. I guess for me, kind of when I think about fishing, this is the hardest bit because I'm a, in that sense, a very private person. My stuff is my stuff and your stuff is your stuff. And if you need help in your stuff, then ask me. And by all means, we're there to help. But I'm not going to out of myself. It's just not my nature at all. It's very hard for me to kind of get involved in other people's lives. But I realize there's a part, there's a grace of God we need to step into to do that. I'm always the last one to find out what's going on in other people's lives because I'm not cropping and asking and making other people's business my business. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, but there's also a place where Jesus is willing to say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I need to step into your life. Zacchaeus, speak to me. Jesus steps into Zacchaeus' life and Zacchaeus is like, whoa, I've messed up some stuff. Hey, I'm going to give half my money to the poor. For him, it wasn't everything. He was like, I'm going to give half. The rich young ruler, it was everything. For Zacchaeus, it was half. For everyone, it's different. And if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to make right with them. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house today. You short guy climbing in a tree, your life is never going to be the same again. Because Jesus was willing to step into his world. And so I want to encourage us, just four things here that we see from Jesus that we can pray into, that we can pray about, that as we say, Jesus, we want to be fishers. You want us to be fishers of me. Jesus, help us with this. Jesus, what was the first one? They God, help us understand your purpose. Spoken about it at length so far, that Mishio Day, the very reason why Jesus came. He came as the ultimate saint one. He genuinely cared. Jesus, help me to learn to care to care for people, to love people. I went fishing on Sunday, a Friday night. It wasn't a very successful fishing expedition. Invited a bunch of you guys to come and watch the rugby at my place, and then I invited our neighborhood to come and watch the rugby. The people who literally live around us. Just come and step into an environment where there are a bunch of believers and get to know some people so we can begin to build a bit of a relationship. Guess what? No one came. So what am I going to do next time the Springboks play? The same thing. I'm going to invite them again. Because I've learned when I go fishing and I've got my rod and I've got my fly on the end, I don't just cast it once, pull the fly back in. Fly, you kind of pull in like this, you don't reel it. You pull it back in and then my day is done. 
No, I cast again, and I cast again, and I cast again, and I cast again. And the more we cast, eventually someone bites, something bites. We reel it in. Jesus genuinely cared. He wasn't intimidated by sinners. You have a bri. You invite some people, you do what I did now, you go fishing, you invite some friends over, and you invite some non-friends over, people you don't know, people from the community or people that are friends, but they don't know Jesus yet or whatever. And guess what? They pitch up with their alcohol. They think we're going fishing, and they bring their three coolers, one with ice, one with beer, one with clippies and coke. How do we respond? Are we like, no, 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 that's not allowed here. We don't do alcohol. Are we intimidated by notorious sinners? I'm saying I'm not talking about illegal drugs and stuff like that. That's different. But are you? You know what? If you want to drink, you're welcome to drink here. I'm not going to drink. My friends probably aren't going to drink. Guess what? They're probably not going to drink as much as they would have with their other friends. And here's a crazy thing: they're going to see you can have fun without having alcohol. What a novel idea. Maybe next time we'll join that and we'll do that as well. Or are we intimidated? Do we respond? Does the religious spirit in us kick out our spikes when the unreligious step into that? Jesus genuinely cared. He wasn't intimidated by sinners. And he stepped into the lives of broken people. Jesus is making us fishes of men. I'm praying that he's established these in our hearts. That as much as a couple of years ago, we really weren't good at the fellowship thing. Now we care and we drink all of the coffee afterwards and we break the coffee machines and we buy a new coffee machine and we love it because we care afterwards. And a couple of months down the line, every Sunday when we arrive, we're going to love caring because they're new people all the time because we're just so good at inviting new people whether it's to a rugby thing like tonight, whether it's just a normal service, whether it's a small group, whether it's an encounter, whether it's a worship night, whatever, we're just inviting people to the presence of God. We become fishes of men. Can we stand together? I want us to pray as we close. Jesus, thank you this evening that you are good, this morning that you are good, Lord. And we can gather here with the, this prayer in our heart, Lord, that you would make us fishes of men. Jesus, we know you made Peter and John and James and Andrew and the others. You made them fishes of men. They didn't start as fishes of men. You made them fishes of men. And you've been making us fishes of men. And Jesus, we pray that you would continue to make us fishes of men, Lord. The ushers are going to hand out the elements of communion for us. And as they're doing that, if there's anything specific that I shared this morning that just resonated in your heart, there was an area where God, that was you, but that's so not me. Would you come and change, work, make on the inside what needs to be made? Just as they're handing out the elements of the communion, don't you want to take a moment and just bring those before Jesus and say, God, I... I struggle to care, Lord. I 
this eternity thing and people of heaven and hell, Lord, it, it doesn't really register on my scale. Lord, I struggle to step into lives of other people, Lord. I'm intimidated by their sinfulness, whatever it may be. Just you take a moment and, and just bring those before Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.